As Christians, we all desire to have a living faith. Nothing is worse than having a stale, superficial Christianity. But in order to have a living faith, we must trust in a God that is living. Here's the big idea for today. The resurrection reveals God's power towards us. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19, it says, If in Christ we hope in this life only, we are of people most to be pitied. We find ourselves in today in Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 18. And this is what verse 18 says. And the Sadducees came to Jesus, who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, So this verse reveals the opponents of Jesus. You see, as Jesus makes his way to the cross, conflict becomes more and more intense. Two weeks ago, we discovered that the Sanhedrin, which is made up of the chief priests, scribes, and elders, were questioning Jesus' authority. Last week, we learned that the, that the Pharisees and the Herodians joined forces to attack Jesus personally. In today's passage, we're going to learn about the Sadducees and how they try to trap Jesus theologically. The Sadducees were a small group of men who were very influential. They had top spots in the temple. They also ran very successful businesses in and around the temple. So when Jesus crashed their party and shut down all the businesses, they were very upset. Unlike the Pharisees, the Sadducees didn't have those extra laws. In fact, it was quite the opposite. They disregarded a good chunk of the Old Testament as they only followed five of the books of the Bible. Our passage explains that the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. They also didn't believe in angels, demons, or anything supernatural. So here's the argument that they have for Jesus, the trap that they try to set. Verse 19 says, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man dies, leaves a wife, but leaves no child, The man must take the widow and rise up the offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and then he died, left no offspring. And the second took her, died, left the offspring. The third likewise, and the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman dies as well. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife shall she be, for the seven had her as a wife. Admittedly, the Sadducees are using scripture. However, they are using scripture for their own agenda. Here's the situation. If a woman's husband dies, according to Deuteronomy 25, if any of his brothers are still living and single, the woman were to marry, the wife is to marry the brother. Since the land and the inheritance stayed within the family, this law protected the widow. 
the Sadducees stir up this case study where the widow marries each brother until they die. And eventually she dies herself. And here's the punchline for these for the Lord Jesus. Once they all get to heaven, things are going to be incredibly awkward. Which one will be her husband? Now, it may sound like a clever argument. However, notice one massive flaw. They are assuming heaven is exactly what earth is like. This is the problem with people today. It isn't easy to have a proper dialogue with people with different worldviews because we have different authorities. However, you'll notice Jesus doesn't run away from this conversation. He confronts them in a way we might least expect it. Notice the response of Jesus, verse 24. Jesus said to them, Is not the reason that you are wrong because you neither know the scripture or the power of God? You see, Jesus isn't afraid of them. Notice in verse 24 and verse 27, Jesus says, They are wrong. But you'll also notice that he does not get personal. He brings them back to scripture. This is an important lesson for us. As we engage with people with various worldviews, it's vital that we get back to the authority of scripture. Jesus first deals with their concern with a husband and wife, the covenant between a man and a woman. Verse 25, for when they rise from the dead, neither marry nor given in marriage, but they are like the angels in heaven. Jesus just taught in chapter 10 about the covenant of marriage. Jesus taught that although man and his wife are separate individuals, that in fact, in the eyes of God, they are like one flesh. Their marriage is permanent in the sense that you can't just get up and leave in the middle of your marriage and pursue another person. Ephesians chapter 5 sheds more light on why the marriage covenant should be permanent. It is because it is a picture of a covenant relationship that Jesus Christ has with his bride, the church. Just as Jesus will never leave his bride, the church, so men are to stay loyal to their wives. But here's the thing. When we're in heaven, there's no need for the picture because the picture will be, rea- will be replaced by the reality. The picture of marriage covenant was designed to point us to a greater reality of the covenant of Jesus and his church. In heaven, Jesus will be our supreme joy and love. So in a sense, the Sadducees' case study of marriage just opened up the door for Jesus to point back to heaven, the very doctrine that they denied. But then Jesus goes further and talks about the covenant between God's people and himself. Verse 26 says this, And and as for the dead being raised, have you not read the book of Moses in the passage about the bush? How God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. 
He is not the God of the dead, but the living. You are quite wrong. Jesus brings the Sadducees back to when Moses encountered the living God at the burning bush. This may seem like an odd place to start. Why not in Genesis chapter 1 where God creates life? Or a few chapters further when God raises Enoch from he- to heaven? There are a ton of other verses Jesus could have used. However, Jesus decides to focus his attention on Exodus 3 where Moses encountered the living God. Notice how Jesus, how Jesus repeats that God in the present tense three times. He is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. They have a personal relationship with the living God even thousands of years after they die. However, when the Old Testament, when you read the Old Testament, you'll notice that when God uses these three names together, it's more than just three random guys together. When we hear of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this is covenantal language. You see, God promised Abraham that all the nations would be blessed through his offspring. God orchestrated the birth of Isaac in such a way that both Abraham and all who read Genesis know that his birth was an utter, complete miracle and that only by the power of God he could do this. As you keep reading the book of Genesis, you learn of Jacob and you learn that God is committed to keeping his promise despite all of Jacob's failures. The promise that the offspring of Abraham will secure the blessing to all nations. This is what Jesus means when he says that neither you know the scripture or the power of God. Jesus doesn't get in a long debate with them. Instead, he brings the Sadducees back to the message of Scripture and the power of God. But the third reason why he brings this up is not just because it's in the present tense that these three men have a living relationship with God, not just because he's bringing back the covenant relationship between God and his people, showing the power of God and the message of God, But he also brings it back to that Exodus story and the judgment of God. You see, he's warning the Sadducees. After God reveals himself to Moses, he leads Moses to confront Pharaoh and deliver God's people from slavery. Unfortunately, Pharaoh and his people put up a fight and have God's people cornered right by a massive body of water. It was utterly impossible for the people of God. And yet it was at this very point that God parts the waters and delivers his people safely. But unfortunately, for Pharaoh and his stubborn heart, the judgment of God was reserved for him in those waters. You see, Jesus chooses this specific passage to warn the Sadducees. Jesus refers to his death earlier on in the Gospels as his exodus. By Jesus dying upon the cross and being raised on the third day, anyone who trusts in him as Savior will be freed from slavery and the penalty of sin. But for those like the Sadducees who sentenced Jesus to death, who refused to trust 
Jesus, just as Pharaoh um, refused to trust God, will experience that same judgment. And so we come to the end of this passage. Let's reread verse 27. For God is the God of the living and not the dead. This could be either good news or bad news for you. For all those who refuse to trust God in salvation, it's terrible news. However, it is absolutely amazing news for you if you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Jesus put it this way. Jesus said to her in John chapter 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, he shall live. Here's two practical questions I want to ask at the end of this Refresh Monday. Do we truly understand the message of the Bible? How would you respond if someone asked you, point blank, what is the Bible all about? Let me give you a simple tool to use. Four words, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Each one, God is doing the impossible to rescue people from sin and slavery. Here's an excellent verse that summarizes the message of Scripture. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The second question I want to ask is, do you know the power of God in your life? God desires for you to experience his power. The problem with the Sadducees is they were, noted, they were known to start debates. The Pharisees and the Sadducees would spend weeks and months debating on specific passages of Scripture. However, as the people of God, we should be captivated by the story of God. We don't need to spend time debating and infighting. That was one of the problems at the church of Corinth, is they were debating about all sorts of things. And this is what the Apostle Paul said to them. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 19 says, I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. This passage tells us that God is at work. He desires to use us powerfully. But here's the thing. God only uses weak and needy people to show off his power. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So the reason why we can sacrificially lay our lives down for the blessing of others is because we know that one day, when we die, our bodies will be raised together with our Savior, Jesus Christ. God bless and have a wonderful day week.